0: Somebody asked me how I made it through Bethany's wedding, and I said, Well, I mixed in some humor, and so, and it was a feeble attempt at it, but nonetheless, it's a. So let's start here, okay? If we use the biblical measurement, I'm not reading from the Bible, okay? I'll read there in a minute, all right? If you use the biblical measurement of a day being as a thousand years, got that? 20 years, then would represent 2% of one day. This means in heaven, heritage is a little less than 30 minutes old. 28.8 minutes to be exact. Now I'm not just trying to wow you with my math skills this morning. I'm just trying to show you that heaven has a different perspective on things than we have. There are things that we talked about twenty years ago and some folks like Pastor Mar, when when's that going to happen? It's like, well it hasn't even been thirty minutes yet. You realize God will say things? He will speak things that do not come to pass for millennia. He doesn't sweat it. He knows it'll come to pass, right? It'll come to pass. I don't know if you noticed the sign, that last sign, we had the future location of sign. And in those days, the Lord impressed upon us that a time of harvest was upon us. Amen. Remember that when we get towards the end of what we have to say this morning. I'm 51 years old some people say in the world that that's about time for a midlife crisis i couldn't be further from it it has been an emotional few weeks for me as we've approached this 20th anniversary and the best way i was telling some of the brothers in the hallway the best way i know how to to try to explain to you is it's like right or wrong good or bad for 20 years i've just had my head down i've stayed in my lane I've tried to the best of my ability to be the best servant leader, the best pastor, learning as I go, amen? I've never been a pastor before until now. And it's like I woke up 20 years later and my children are adults. And a lot of your children are adults that were babies when you first got here. And it's almost like Shazam, you know, where has the time gone? I'm well aware that some of you, you know, you don't even know the words to the song that we sang 20 years ago, and maybe it doesn't mean as much to you as it does to some of us, and I'm not sure that it means as much to anybody in here as it does to me and Miss Pam. And I'm not trying to put me and Miss Pam on a pedestal, but you've got to understand, we don't pastor from a distance. This is our life. I'm living my dream. I'm standing in my destiny this morning. This is my promised land, and I'm living my promised life. Are you understand what I'm saying? So, the, you know, it's, it's kind of like when I look at some of those pictures, you know, it's like Pam and I'm like, well, baby, you know, our kids are in a lot of them, but she took a lot of them pictures, obviously. You know, you kind of take pictures of your kids. But we've never viewed this as something that we do on Sundays and Wednesdays. We've always viewed you as our family, and our family is yours. In the spring of 1998, the Lord started stirring in my heart again. I knew I'd been called in the ministry when I was very young and I had done the denominational thing. I had, you know, sold out and went into full time ministry, denominational ministry. And to be quite honest with you, and, and I, that's nothing against them, some of the mistakes I made in the early years is, is, is maybe a little too critical of people and things, and Lord's forgiven me for that, and I've, I've learned from that. Um, but again, the, the, the politics and the religion and and all that went along with that it chewed me up and spit me out I, I don't have the guts for that I don't have anyway it's just not me and, and I was basically through uh, with with ministry as far as pastoring and preaching and teaching um, I was going to be a businessman I was going to make lots of money and I was I was going to use that money to uh, to finance missions work and, and build churches and, and help missionaries and things around the world, and I was going to fall on God's mercy uh, when I stood before Him one day when He asked me why I I didn't pastor. And I know that it sounds really ridiculous to say that now, but again, 25 years ago, at that maturity level in my life, it, it seemed like a plan. Obviously God had other plans. He began to stir with me in, in me and Sister Pam in, in the spring of 1998, and he, he spoke Isaiah 43 to me. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read just a few portions from Isaiah 43 to you this morning. But here's the amazing thing. Pam and I had had just before the Lord, and and it's a long story, but and I won't go into all the details. Some of you know the story. But we the Lord has spoke Isaiah 43 to us and and we had decided first Sunday in June 1998, we were going to clear the cabinet displays out of our showroom in the the cabinet shop, and we were going to set up some chairs, and we were going to start a church. And the only people we knew that were going to be there was going to be me, Pam, and John, Mark, and Bethany. But that was fine. Because I was tired of running, I was tired of kicking the can down the road, I was tired of saying one day maybe, and it was time. And so... We were driving down, we rode with my parents down to a revival with Dr. Mike Brown at Tri-County Worship Center uh, in Vance, Alabama. And I was sitting on the front row that Sunday night. We had decided the Saturday night before, and we told Mom and Dad driving to Tuscaloosa what we were going to do, and Dr. Brown was preaching. He was not preaching on Isaiah 43. I'm going to act this out for you, but he can shell the corn, brother. I'm telling you, that man can preach. And so let Matt be me, right? So he is preaching. He's walking back and forth. He's preaching. He's walking back and forth. He's preaching. And he keeps his, He starts getting... Like every time he would pass me, he would take a few steps less and a few steps less and a few steps less until he turned and he looked at me. He pointed at me and he quoted Isaiah 43. Stopped his sermon. Quoted Isaiah 43. When he got through quoting Isaiah 43, he just went right back to preaching his sermon. Okay, God, I hear hear what You're saying. The few things that I'll point out to you this morning from Isaiah 43, first of all, He said, and I'm not sure where that passage went, but in verse 9, He says to let the people be assembled. Amen. Let the people be assembled. And then pick it up in verse 18. Do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise." Now, from this passage and other verses in it, the Lord shared something with me before we ever had that first service. It was something that so impacted me because I had seen other people start churches and it was like they had an axe to grind with somebody. And it was like they everybody that started a church, I'm not saying everybody, but the ones that I knew, it's like they were mad or they were hurt or they felt like they were wronged or they felt like they were better than. And I did not want that to have any factor whatsoever in in what the Lord was leading me to do. And that's one of the reasons I fought it for so long. And finally, the Lord spoke this to my heart. This is is what He told me. Now, Amen. even this many years later, it's, it's, it's a little bit almost like fear and trembling to say it, but this is exactly what He said to me. He said, a cry has come up before my throne for the church I will raise up. Now, that ties in with I'm going to do a new thing. That God was not just wanting to do something at heritage that was being done other places, but that heritage was going to be unique. I knew that from the beginning. I didn't really understand exactly what He meant by that. And to be honest with you, I think for the for, at least to some extent I'm still understanding what He means by that, but I know more 20 years in what He meant by a cry has come up for, before my throne for the church that I will raise up. I know more what that means today than I than I did 20 years ago. So first of all, a cry from those stuck and bound in religion to know the truth about grace, righteousness, and Father's unending, unconditional love. Amen. In other words, the voices that God heard that motivated Him to call us to start this work amen it was as a result of a result of people who were crying out bound in religion stuck in religion wanting to know the truth about grace righteousness and father's unending unconditional love there were voices some of you in here in this room this morning it was your voice that came up before his throne that he responded to when he established Heritage Christian Center. Number two, he said a cry came from those bound by life-controlling habits for a place of acceptance, patience, and love to learn the truth that will set the captive free. Amen. I didn't know this from day one. It became very clear early on, but I did not know this going in. The third thing he said was that a cry came up before his throne from the hearts of people looking for a home and a family. People who had been forgotten, rejected, or ignored altogether by religion. And the fourth thing that we know this morning that we didn't know is that a cry from Jerry and Marilyn O'Dell and other harvesters we partner with for the support needed from the local church to fulfill their assignments around the world. A cry came from their hearts as well. It was years later before I even met Jerry and Marilyn O'Dell, and yet it was their prayers leading up to 1998 that God heard, answered, raised this place up knowing that they would come when our hearts connected with theirs and and this family connected with their, their ministry. And my, 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 only heaven will tell the difference that's been made around the world. Now, I was before the Lord asking him about the years ahead. Remember what I said when I began? It's kind of like I've just been focused on what's next. And, and he's led us. Amen? He's led us. I was first introduced to the foundry when I was a youth pastor at another church. But my heart was in, uh, immediately... I don't know if anybody else in the room was, but I, I'll never forget that Sunday morning. Myself and Matthew, we were broken. We were, we were sobbing before God. And of course we know the partnership that has developed between these two ministries over the years. But I was before the Lord I guess because I realized how quickly the 20 years have seemed to go by. And I don't know about you, but it seems like they're going by even faster now at 50 than they were at 30. And I was just thinking about all that, you know, and I'm like, Lord, you know, I don't want to wake up 20 years from now and and have missed something. And and that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm really committing as much of my time as I can now to writing because I know that's one of the things that He's asked me to do that I have not been as diligent as I should be on. And so I was before the Lord. I was like, Lord, you know, the next 20 years, I I was I was thinking about that. I, I I was. you know, just kind of going over some of that in my heart and mind. And, and it was more from the perspective of, you know, what do I need to do differently? What do I need to do better? I was uh, seeking direction on some things and, and asking Him about some things. And, and this is when He spoke to my heart. Now, I want you to hear me for a moment because I think it's First 1 Chronicle, First Chronicles uh, 7, 17. Don't turn there. But this is the vein of it, if you will. King David realized one day that he was living in a palace. And God was still dwelling in a tent. And he said, this isn't right. So he called the prophet Nathan and he says, it's in my heart to build God a permanent house. And Nathan is like, bring it on. But when Nathan goes back and and, and takes it before the Lord, the Lord says, no, no, you go tell my servant David this. And Nathan came back and he said, King, I I spoke too quickly. I told you that that God was in favor of you building my house. And this is what God told me to tell you. He said that he's dwelt in tents ever since uh, they brought him out of Israel and he's fine with a tent. But this is what he's going to do for you. In other words, David's heart was I want to do something for You, God. Show me what I need to do. Show me where I need to be corrected. Show me what I need to do better. Forgive me for not doing enough. Forgive me for, for building my own self a, a house with cedar timbers and you're living in a tent. This isn't right. And and it's and so David was repentant before God. And, and that was the attitude of my heart. I was expecting him to correct me. I was expecting him to direct me. I was expecting him to instruct me. Instead of giving me words of direction and instruction, he spoke words into my heart that blew wind in myself Like, I haven't had wind in my sails in a long time because rather than direction and correction and instruction, he spoke words of promise and blessing to me. This is what he told me. He said that the first 20 years of planting will now be followed by 20 years of harvest. Over the past 20 years, he said you've planted pastors, you've planted churches, you've planted hundreds of people, thousands of hours, and millions of dollars. Do not stop sowing, but as the last 20 years were characterized by sowing, the next 20 years will be characterized by harvest. Hallelujah that's the word of the lord that's the word of the lord i felt led by the spirit to ask him one more question i said father what about after that he said 20 years of harvest will be followed by 10 years of glory will be followed by 10 years of glory i'm telling you man I'm telling you. If I thought this was up to me to, to, to bring to pass, I would keep it quiet, but I'm telling you right now. It's exact he told me this. The church started on six seven. He told me this. Six seven ninety-eight. He told me this on five six eighteen. Five six eighteen. Five six eighteen. We're going to hear more from those first two sermons. Yes, I did sound that country 20 years ago. And yes, that was me speaking. And yes, I weighed more then than I do now. If you'd have asked me the first two sermons I preached at Heritage, I'd have told you I preached from Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 54, but I did not. Now I know again that may not sound like I was really grounded in all that, but the first two sermons I preached at Heritage, the harvest is in the seed Sunday morning. Perfect seed Sunday night. We were preaching, and I believe it was prophetically. It's one of the clips that I wanted to show you. We had no idea that we would be building churches in Kenya. in in Tanzania. We had no idea about any of that, but yet in, in that first message, the Lord was talking about a seed that would become a tree that would put down roots and then branches would reach. He's done that. He's done that. I didn't know we had a video of those two services. I found the cassette tape and I was listening to the cassette tape and the Sunday night cassette tape, I said, I'm so glad we're videoing this. And I went, I didn't know we were videoing this. So I broke in mom and dad's house. No, they, they, knew, they knew. And went through all of dad's old VHS tapes and found. If I could finish this morning with just these last things, These are some key things the Lord told us from the very beginning, and I want to share those things with you. The first thing He told me, I said, Lord, where will the people come from? And He said, don't worry about that. I'm tapping them on the shoulder and sending them to You. I'm tapping them on the shoulder and I'm sending them to You. This many years later, I believe there are more people who've been tapped on the shoulder that have not showed up here than have. There are people who drive down Brooklyn. It's a five lane now, right? In those days it was a two lane, narrow two lane. But there are people who have driven down Brooklyn for years and have felt drawn to this place. But have yet to show up, but they're coming telling you, they're coming. It's one of the things He said in Isaiah 43. I'm calling my children from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and I'm bringing them to you. The second thing He told us was to do God's thing, to do it God's way, and to expect God's results. My dad put his hand on my shoulder that Saturday night before that first Sunday, June the 6th. He looked me in the eye with tears in his eyes and he said son we have a rare opportunity to do it right from the beginning that's where that line came from in that song if ever I'm determined to do something right I got really emotional on Pam I think it was Tuesday part of it is when I when I look at those pictures of Tom Smith and Ray Smith and Bucky and so many others you know it it, I hey mean, I love those brothers I miss them others who've been here and have you know the Lord's moved other directions or gone other places I miss them and then you know I'll be the first to tell you I, I, I haven't done everything right I've tried but I haven't done everything right and thank God for his mercy and grace and thank God for all of you who've been so patient with me over the years It's one thing to be a preacher, it's another thing to be a pastor. Amen. I'm not bragging when I say this, it's His gift in me. But after I don't know how many 15, 20,000 sermons, I, I know how to preach. I can do that. Pastoring things a different deal. Leading is a different deal. Thank you for loving me, but I, we've always tried to do God's thing and do it His way and expect His results. The third thing the Lord told me way back there in the beginning, He says, "Never forget." I had no idea what He. I had no idea why He was telling me this. I just, "Woohoo! Yeah, let's preach. That will preach? Let's preach that, right?" I had no idea what He meant when He said these words to me. Never forget. See, if the Lord ever tells you to never forget something, He knows that there's going to come a day when you're going to more than likely have an opportunity to forget it. So when He says to you never forget, He's preparing you for a day when it's going to look like everything around you is going to hell in a handbasket and nothing good's ever going to be any better, right? But He told me this from the very beginning, Brother Paul. He said, never forget your best days will always be ahead of you. Always be ahead of you. That helped me, Bryce, in some hard days, brother. Amen. That helped me, right, when, you know what I'm saying? Some Sunday nights we have less folks in this building than we used to have in children's church. Amen. Had to remind myself, right? About three years ago, I almost lost the vision of this balcony being filled. Not anymore. Uh-uh. uh uh-uh. But you hear what I'm saying? Listen to me, please. It's, that's why the Lord told me, never forget. Your best days will always be ahead of you. Fourth thing He spoke to us, not in the beginning. This came early on. This came in cabinet shop days. He said it like this, without any competition or pretense. You know the Lord's speaking to you when He tells you a word you don't know what it means. Pretense means like putting on airs. Trying to pretend. He said, without any competition or pretense, desire to know Jesus like few people have ever known Him. Desire to know Jesus like few people have ever known Him. It's very easy for churches to become about churchy things. It's very easy for churches to get more focused on their programs and their buildings and and their reputation and their image and their this and their that. And somewhere along the way they lose sight that it's all about Jesus and Him crucified and what that means, amen, to our lives. And then the fifth thing is focus on the simplicity of knowing Jesus and making him known. That's why we're here. That's why we're not already in heaven with a Father who who absolutely cannot wait beside himself for us to be there with him. It's because we have an assignment, we have a mission, church, and that's to make Jesus known. But you can't make somebody known that you don't know. It'd be like you're trying to introduce somebody you've never met. See, the more you know him, the more you're able to make him known. So, looking back, what stands out the most? Three things. Number one, the goodness and faithfulness of God. The goodness and faithfulness of God. We started in the cabinet shop with 17 people. Nobody took a salary. I mean, the, the cabinet shop was actually, you know, paying expenses and all that stuff, you know, just to try to help the church get started. We were growing, we had nowhere to put anybody. I think this many years later, it's okay for me to say their names. Some folks who were here in those days figured it out anyway, I think. There was a family in our church in those days, Walt and Lil Short. They asked Pam and I over for, for lunch after church one Sunday, and, We were sitting there eating a steak that Brother Walt had grilled on the grill and Brother Walt began to cry. And he looked at Sister Lil and he said, I think they're going to be here this afternoon. He looked at Sister Lil and he said, you tell him. And she started to cry and she said, no, you tell him. He started to cry harder and he said, I can't tell him. And she said, you need to tell him. And I'm like, tell me what? They donated a piece of waterfront property to the church in Punta Gorda, Florida, that we in turn sold for $175,000. We combined that with monies that had already been saved and we bought these 10 beautiful acres here. And we're able to follow through with the building of this building. That's just one, I could stand here until this time tomorrow telling you about the goodness and faithfulness of God even when attendance over the years has declined, the financial flow has remained constant. God has sustained us. Looking back, what stands out the most, the faithfulness, the goodness and faithfulness of God, the next one is the things the Lord has taught us. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I think Father knows my heart. I mean no offense. Obviously, the goodness and faithfulness of God, the things that He's taught us. Looking back, what stands out the most? If can I have a, like a, a can I have two answers? <laughs> to me, even even as much as the goodness and faithfulness of God and important as that is the thing that stands out the most. You ready? It's the people. It's the people. The people. Wow. Oh, there's a photograph of I, don't know, I think Jerry's probably somewhere working helping. There's a photograph on one of those tables, but it's Jerry Godwin standing. Let's see, that's the post office. He's standing somewhere right over there with my dad when they're pouring the concrete. Everybody looks at that picture and they think, yeah, oh, Jerry's down here helping build the building. No, Jerry, Jerry Goblin didn't come to this church for another, was it 10 years, Dad, maybe? 12 years? Friend of our family. Lord was tapping him on the shoulder. It's the people. Isaiah 54, verses 14. 15 and 16. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler, to destroy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Amen. Singers and musicians, if you would please come. Thank you, Jesus. For 20 years now, we've laughed together. Come on now, we've had some laughs around here, haven't we? We've cried together. I'm not trying to gross you out, but if there would be some way to extract the DNA from the sweat that was dripped onto this concrete floor, between February and November of year 2000. Was the stage built, Tracy, when y'all were married? Was it on the stage or was it on the floor? I can't remember. First folks to ever be married at Heritage, building what ain't finished. Amen. So y'all are about to have an 18-year anniversary, right? Wow, it's amazing amazing we sweated together we worked together we prayed together we played together we're gonna play today we ate together probably a little too much but anyway Lord's helping me with that we've learned together we've loved together We've grown together. Amen. We've grown together. We've served God together. We're making a difference together. And we're glorifying Him together. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask those who serve communion if you'd come.